0: the story, uh, because Nehemiah, as good as a leader as he was, he then stood up. Uh, he commanded the people that day, you know, that, that, that the day should be a, holiday, uh, a, a day to celebrate and not a day of mourning. So Nehemiah 8, uh, verses 10, not verses 8, there was a typo there, uh, you know, Nehemiah said that go and enjoy choice of food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who nothing prepared. The day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. And just like what we sang earlier, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the people turned from weeping into rejoicing. And not only that, they then worshiped and celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles on that day, which they had not done since the day of Joshua. Joshua. So, so this was pretty, pretty awesome scene. Uh, you know, the 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 feast of Tabernacles uh, is a week-long festival. You know, uh, celebrating the 40-year journey of the Israelites in the wilderness, uh, and that feast would have started on the 15th day of the seventh month. So, if you kind of do your own math there, you know, start on the 15th, a week-long festival, seven, eight days would lead to the 23rd. Uh, of the month, uh, Nehemiah 9, which is our text this morning, pick up immediately uh, at the, the back end of, uh, of that celebration. So Nehemiah 9, again, which is our text today, started as such. So on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads, Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So the people of Israel, they read the Bible for a quarter of the day for five hours They pray and worship for another three, four, five hours. And you also notice that they separated themselves from all foreigners, you know, in pursuit of holiness. So you get the pictures here. So this is a very serious spiritual revival going on here. So this is a very, very exciting time. The rest of Nehemiah 9, which, you know, we will go through this morning, is what was produced during that time of revival. So what was produced as they were praying, as they're reflecting on their word of God, it was recorded in Nehemiah 9, and it is recorded in the form of prayer. So this is, by the way, the longest prayer, the longest recorded prayer in all scriptures. So it's a very unique and special text for us this morning. Uh, and, and just a word of note also that this prayer is very much inter- the interaction of the people of Israel with the Word of God, reading the Bible, they're praying, and also they're confessing and, rep- uh, and, and repentance, uh, repenting their sin. So before we go into that, I want to pause here uh, a moment here. So, so I want to show you this picture. So I found this uh, on my, uh, I think on my Facebook feed or somewhere on Google, uh, but uh, you guys might recognize the face here, so. This is uh, Albert Einstein and Charlie Chaplin. Uh, So this is in 1931. Uh, So And you guys know who who they were, right? So Einstein is a famous uh, physicist and scientist, and Charlie Chaplin, of course, was an entertainer, comedian, movie star, and so on. So in this occasion, Einstein said to Chaplin as such, what I admire most about your art, is your universality. You do not say a word, you do not say a word, yet the world understands you. So that was a pretty awesome, right? So do not say a word, but the world understands you. So Chaplin replied, it is very true. And then this is his reply to Einstein. But your fame is even greater. Your fame is greater. The world admires you yet no one understands you. (laughs) So the world admires you, but no one understands you. So prayer, to me, in a nutshell, is exactly like that, right? Everybody loves, admires prayer, but nobody understands how prayer works. So I can't tell you today, in all my earnestly, right, why some of your prayers, you know, were granted, or why some were delayed, some were unanswered. Uh, I think we'll get to find out when we get to heaven. So understanding prayer, how prayers work, is not exactly uh, the scope of today's messages. So, uh, so what I would like to offer you today though, uh, using the passage of Nehemiah, the three things uh, that in my reflection prayers can lead us to. Uh, so these are the three things. So prayer leads to recognition of our brokenness, Prayer leads to a reflection of God's abundant mercy in our life, and prayer leads to a renewal of our obedience. So that's what uh, I'd like to to offer to you this morning. So I think it's only fitting that at this moment we uh, take a moment and, and, and pray one more time as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us grace this morning that... We would both hearers and doers of the word, and may our obedience in both listening and living bring glory to you. Amen. So prayer leads to recognition of our brokenness. Uh, You will notice very easily, uh, Nehemiah Nehemiah 9 uh, is, is a prayer that is organized chronologically. So in other words, it follows the history of the early books of the Old Testament, the Torah. So verse 6 tells the story of creation, you know, how God's special people, which is the Israelites, were chosen. And then there's the calling of Abraham, uh, 7 to 8, 9 to 11, uh, God's deliverance from Egypt. Uh, 13 to 18, the commandments and the Sabbath. And there's also provision during the wilderness, during the Exodus, and and lastly in first twenty two to twenty five as well, there is story of uh, promised land, uh, the the Joshua uh, given the promised land. So, what we learn, what we notice here, as the people of Israel interacted with the, you know, with the words of God as they read the Bible, as they read their Torah, as they pray, as they reflected, they realized, they realized one thing. They realized that they had a very bad habit of rebellion against God, and that was uh, come abundantly clear uh, in their reflection. So their prayer led to realization that they were, you know, even though they were God's special people, we were told, even though they were God's special people, they were a broken you know, they were messed up. They, they were sinners. So in particular, they remembered two significant points in the history when they really, really messed up. So let's go to 16 and 18. So 16 and 18, uh, you know, they, they recounted the moment after the Exodus. Uh, so this is the Israelites praying. Uh, but they, our ancestor, became arrogant and stiff-necked. And they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. So as they pray, the people of Israel, they remember that their ancestors were were far, far from perfect. They they were arrogant, they stiff-necked, and they continue on. They became stiff-necked. And not only that, in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to to their slavery. So not only they were failing to obey God's command, but they also wanted to go back to their slavery, which is, you know, what they have been delivered from. Not only that, and you guys uh, also recall this from Exodus, uh, the people of Israel they cast for themselves an image of a calf. Uh, so Exodus 32 recorded the story where Moses was uh, in the mountain. His delay was returned. The people of Israel, they asked Aaron to build them a golden calf, right? And, and this, is what, this is what the people uh, remembered as they read the Bible, as they learned about God. they came to realization that they committed blasphemy. They committed awful blasphemies. So, so, again, you know, the, their prayer leads to recognition of their brokenness. Uh, they also remember another point in the history, which was in 26 and 27. So, this is after the conquest uh, in the land of Canaan. And, again, Joshua was, uh, was the uh, prime actor here. Uh, the Israelites also remember, but they messed up real bad. You know, they were disobedient. They, were, they rebelled against you. They turned their backs on God's law. They even killed the prophets. They committed awful blasphemies. So this is the picture that, 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 that we got here. Uh, the, the people of Israel, they reflected on their word, on God's word, and they remembered that they, are, you know, they were making a lot of mistakes. They again did what was evil in your sight. So this rebellion cycle is repeated over and over again. In verse 28, it says that many times, right? Time after time. So there's a pattern here. So this is not just one time off, but there's a pattern of rebellion. There's a pattern of continuing making the same mistakes after mistake. And it finally, it, it really hit home. So in verse thirty-six, the Israelites they acknowledge the consequence of their rebellion. So this is when finally they came to realization. But today, but see, we are slaves today. So because of their rebellion, because of their ancestor not obeying God's law, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestor. So they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. So do you guys realize how messed up this is? So in the land, in the land that they were given, they have to pay taxes. They have to pay taxes just to be there in the land that they were given. They have to ask permission to be there. Uh, So what they produce go back to the foreign king. So they were not free people. They were not victorious And certainly they were not the special people they were designed for, that they were chosen for. So sin deceives and blinds us to our true condition. Uh, But the Word of God, the Word of God reveals the true condition of our hearts. So the author of Hebrew speaks on this. Point. So the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing our soul and spirit, able to judge the thoughts and intention of our hearts. And all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So that's, that's, that's the first point here, that prayers, as we meditate on the Word of God, as we pray, as we read the Bible, as we, you know, read the Scripture, it leads us straight into our brokenness. It gives us a new vision, it gives us a new realization that we are far, far from grace. So prayer leads to recognition of our brokenness. But prayer also leads to a reflection of God's abundant mercy. So, again, just by glancing the text, I could do a quick glancing here. The entire chapter, you see that God is the subject throughout the whole chapter. So God sets the motion. God is the prime mover. So many sentences in this chapter start with you, uh, you referring to God. Right? You are the Lord, you alone. So that's from verse 6. Verse 7, you are the Lord, and so on. Right? You found His heart, and you saw the affliction of our fathers. That's verse 9. You divided the sea before them, verse 11. So on and so on. So the prayer is filled with the description of god 's attitude and action towards the people, so i 'm going to use the same text, so same text uh, 16 and eighteen. So not only the Israelites recognize their brokenness, but they are also recognizing that God is the prime mover in this entire story of redemption. So here it reads you are a forgiving god gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love you did not desert them so so again uh, a recognition there's a massive shift focus here so while the rebellion is still there while their sins is still there the focus now is moving towards God's character in their life. So same text, right? 26 and 28. You notice the disobedience is still there, the turning of their backs, killing of the prophets still there, but there's a massive shift of focus here. The Israelites remembered as they recounted their history as they pray that God delivered them that God heard from heaven, heard their prayer from heaven, heaven, and in your compassion, God delivered them time after time. In verse 31, they came to a conclusion that in God's great mercy, you God, did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are gracious. And merciful God. So this is the picture that we get from, from this prayer, right? So so this is the picture of God's faithfulness, it's the picture of God's goodness, God's grace, God's tender mercies. And the theme is, is very very much clear here. So while God faithfulness present, so it is being contrasted to the unfaithfulness of his people. So the failure of Israel, the failure of God's own people, was matched by a new outpouring of the grace of God. Not just one time, but over and over and over again. And that is true in our life as well, doesn't it? So no matter how awful, terrible, numerous sins that you have, uh, God's grace is, is greater so I found this illustration uh, I found this illustration very interesting, uh, because, you know, some of the men, uh, we went on a retreat last week, and we talked about the sonship in, in God's kingdom. And so this is an illustration from uh, Thomas Goodwin. Uh, so Thomas Goodwin was a 17th-century 17th Puritan pastor. Uh, so he wrote that one day he saw a father and a son walking along the street so father and the son walking along the street so suddenly the father swept up the son into his arm and hugged him and kissed him and told the boy he loved him and then a minute later after a minute he put the boy back down so here's the question that Thomas Goodwin had, was the little boy more a son in the father's arms than when he was down on the street? So was the little boy more a son in his father's arms than when he was down on the street? So objectively and legally, there was no difference, right? The boy and the son, they are still father and son, right? There's no legal change, you know, status changing, you know, as, as the father lifted the boy up. But subjectively and experientially, there was all the difference in the world. In his father's arm, the boy was experiencing his sonship. Uh, so, that, that is exactly what prayer and meditation and repenting do for us. So, it doesn't change our status. It doesn't change, you know, in, in any you know, it doesn't change our status. We are still, uh, you know, sons and daughters. Uh, but prayer and meditating on God's word helps us remember God's abundant mercies and it increases our intimacy of a father and a son or a daughter. So prayer leads us into our brokenness, and prayer also leads us into God's abundant grace. And then lastly, the third point is that prayer leads us into a renewal of our obedience. So turn with me to verse 38. Verse 38 says, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So in view of all this, or because of all this, So, in view of God's abundant mercy and in view of their brokenness, after everything has been, you know, discussed, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. So, another word for binding agreement is covenant. So, these people, the people of Israel, got really serious with God that very day, and they needed to come to this place. So, knowing who they were and knowing who God was, it, you know, it, it, it's just not enough, right? They needed to come to a place, they, and they did. They came and make a covenant with God, even writing it down. So, they committed themselves to His way that very day. So, the Hebrew word for agreement uh, is a word, uh, amana. So, this is not a common word. In fact, uh, Kind of did a little search there. The exact word, uh, this is the only time this word appeared uh, in Old Testament. Uh, It's kind of a unique word, uh, agreement. And then uh, the root of the word uh, only appeared one other time in the Bible, uh, in Old Testament. And it refers in the same chapters. In fact, it referred to verse 8, when Abraham was found faithful. So if you go back to verse 8, it says that Abraham was found faithful. So here, Abraham was given as an example of what faithfulness and commitment look like. And to the people of Israel, they got it, right? Because Abraham was called, and he, and he was faithful. So for us, what does it mean? For us, at the end of the day... Reading the Bible, meditating, and praying are not just spiritual exercises. Uh, it, you know, it gave us wonderful experiences, but that, that's not the end to it, right? It's not just a feel-good moments or checking the box. At the end of the day, we just like the people of Israel on that day, we too need to come to a place of decision, just like the Israelites did. So later in chapter 10... And I will not spill the bin too, too much here because we will be on uh, chapter 10 next week. But in the last verse of chapter 10, it was said that we, again, the Israelites, we will not neglect the house of God. So that was their commitment. We will not neglect the house of God. So on that very day, God became priorities in their lives. So prayer leads to recognition of our brokenness. Prayer leads to a reflection of God's abundant mercy. And prayer leads also to a renewal of our obedience. So God must become priorities as well in our lives, just like they were priorities in the people of Israel. So let me close with this. So, God's abundant mercy does not come through anything in us, but through His grace in Christ. So, in Ephesians 2, Paul argues that we were no different than the Israelites. So, Ephesians 2 told us that we were just exactly like the Israelites. We fit the description So we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power, the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind and the body, and we are nature children of wrath. So that is you and I. That that is our description right there. But here's the good news. Here's this gospel for you today. In the, in, in the next uh, line, uh, Paul said, Paul argues that because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression, it is by grace you have been saved. So, So this is a very... Powerful first, right? So we, were, so we were made alive in Christ when we were dead in transgression, when we were dead in our sins. Not after we cleaned up, but when we were dead in transgression. And you will also notice the contrast here between the lives of the unbelievers and the lives, the lives of those who have been saved. The difference between the two groups is not God, you know, it's not us, it's not the people, but it is God. So God, because of His tender mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. So that's our comfort and my personal invitation to you this morning. So my invitation to you this morning is let us commit ourselves to God, right? Make Him priority in our lives, and living by grace in which we have been saved today and in the days to come. So will you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your great love for us, for your tender mercy, your steadfast love, that you gave us Christ for us and you made us alive, Father, in Christ even when we were sinners. So, Father, help us to remember, Father, as we commit ourselves to you this morning, Father. Make us to be a doer, Father, of your word, that we continue, Father, to make you priority in our lives. And we continue, Father, to remember of the grace in which we have been safe for we ask all this in Christ Jesus our lord and redeemer amen